Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. I am Jason Waller here with my co-host, Alex Meschi. Join us as we take a real look at reality. Boom. Welcome back to another episode of Grumpy Young Men. Fourth of July special. Yeah, Fourth of July, man. What an interesting uh, last few days. Yeah, it's been uh, an interesting Fourth of July. And a fun fact that I read the other day was that we've been celebrating the Fourth of July since 1777. So for over 240 years, we've had fireworks celebrations. And this was the first time we didn't. Yeah. So just an interesting thing. And to uh, we had them back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, they weren't fireworks. They were cannons and muskets. But yeah, people were some form of some form of explosion. Livery. (laughs) Okay. there we go. Yeah. So we got another fun episode last week. We were talking about labels and name changes, and we had some stuff kind of happen over the weekend that we'll get into. Uh, But first, let's start with a fun shower fact about money. Let's hear it. Money you earn is never yours. It's just your turn with it. That's that's trippy. Right. It's kind of funny when you think about it. And I mean, I can definitely speak to that. I feel like all the dollars I get, I'm just spending on food. So I'm converting it into food that I'm then eating. Yeah. It's all worth it. Money comes in, just goes out, man. (laughs) Freaking revolving door. Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about 4th of July. This was the first time we didn't have fireworks. Technically, uh, we still did illegally, which kind of made for a fun experience. Um, saw a couple news clips of helicopters flying over orange County and, Pretty much every city block looked like Disneyland at some point, which was, uh, I mean, not nice for the people trying to sleep or have dogs or things like that, but kind of cool from a community aspect of people showing, you know, the celebration for independence. And while some of them probably don't even know the date of uh, Independence Day, you know, but they know the uh, effects around it and they wanted to show their funny that you say that because I was watching the news and there was somebody out, you know, doing live interviews with people asking, you know, what is Independence Day and, you know, when did it, when did it occur? What was the date? And somebody even said 1986. I was just like blown away (laughs) by with uh, the lack of knowledge or education on some of these people. But anyways, I thought that was a a fun fact, but it's, it's funny that you bring that up because Usually we always go to the beach and enjoy the fireworks and, uh, you know, clearly all the beaches were closed in, in California and uh, all the fireworks shows were over. But uh, lo and behold, don't worry, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Huntington, uh, it was it was crazier than, you know, and actually a, a more enjoyable time than we've had going to the beach to see everybody, every other corner somebody was lighting off mortars and it was just like it was nuts to be in a neighborhood and to just look down the road and to see fire everywhere from the fireworks and then just above you just look up and there's just mortars going off everywhere it was actually really fun we enjoyed it yeah it was uh it was an interesting night because of people's creativity of wanting to celebrate right so you have a combination of people kind of being pent up cooped up a holiday comes around Especially for us in Orange County, it seems like a lot of the summer holidays are especially celebrated because we have the beach access and everybody likes to go hang out in the sun. But with the governor putting these orders out to reduce the amount of uh, public gatherings for social distancing, it was definitely interesting to see how creative people got between you know what you said you just saw with fireworks down the entire street and everybody's lighting them off. 
Uh, whereas, you know, in years past, it's usually like, there's a few people that'll go a little crazy in your block or whatever. But this time it seemed like everybody was on the same page. And the other funny thing was that some cities were defying the order by either, uh, doing kind of like an impromptu secret update post of, Hey, we're doing a fireworks show at nine o'clock tonight. You know, Hey, governor Newsom, if you want to try and stop it, you're welcome to cruise on down to ranch at Cucamonga, which nobody's going out there. Or they saw that the uh, semantics of the ordinance was no July 4 events. So they did July 5 events, <laughs> which is a little tongue in cheek. And that's probably something I would do if I were on the oh city board. Be like, God. oh, they said we can do 4th of July. Well, how about the 5th of July? Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely commend the uh, creativity of people wanting to celebrate America's independence. And uh, even more so, I was surprised to not read yesterday in the news how many issues there were because of these fireworks. Cause usually every year they report on illegal fireworks and somebody's uh, shingle house goes up in flames or this or that with the amount of fireworks that were up in the air per the KCAL nine uh, helicopter feed. I didn't hear about one house burning down, not one park burning down, not one forest fire, not one anything. And that's despite us having what a four day heat wave here. Like yeah. it was hot. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some some stuff had to have happened, but also them trying to patrol and manage that many. Because like I thought I had no idea what was going on outside of the Orange County until we got home and saw the news and just basically the copters were flying over. Dude. It was like basically from San Diego to L.A., it was just straight up fireworks all afternoon, all night. So uh, I don't know the outcome of it, but uh Per, per what you're saying is is there wasn't that much damage done so yeah i feel like if there was a negative effect we would have heard all about it and they would have made a case in point was, this is why we don't do this or that or Good whatever point. uh but we didn't see any of that so props to everybody that was able to shoot illegal fireworks off safely yeah and, i uh, guess you even know more so not burning down your neighbor's houses so Good That's on the that. truth. Well, dude, I saw something uh, interesting or I heard uh, something very interesting around uh, who's going to be running for president uh, in 2024. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Kanye, dude, coming out. And uh, I guess Elon, uh, is it Elon or Eli? Elon, Elon. Musk, Elon Musk is uh, back in his play and, and posted it on Twitter and stuff. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's not the first time Kanye has talked about running for president, but Here's the other thing. So you have his words and you have his whole, uh, let's call it a PR stunt. Right now, the reason why I want to call it a PR stunt is because upon him announcing his candidacy, people began to fact check and see whether or not he actually filed the appropriate paperwork. Well, he didn't, or at least not yet. So the fact that that is a process that takes time and campaigning is a process that takes time. Unless he's going to campaign through the release of a new pair of Yeezys, I don't think he's got the time <laughs> to actually make president. Right? It's as simple as that. I mean, most president uh, presidential campaigns take, if not a whole year, uh, if not more, to produce and go through. But um, he's got some time. He's got four years. Well, he he's supposedly running for twenty twenty. No, twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty. His whole campaign slogan's 2020 vision. I thought it, I heard it was 2024. No, sir. You guys sure about that? 2020 vision, baby. So he's going to run for a presidency or a campaign that literally the election's in what? Four months? Five months? Okay. Well, I, from what I, I that didn't even, I, I mean, if that's the case, then good luck. <laughs> 
changes things a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say 2024 was, I swore that's what I read because I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, so here's a funny notion though. Let's say theoretically if Kanye did run. Um, this is more a question for people that are actually in poli sci or know politics a bit better than me, but I would be curious if it's one possible for Kanye to pick Trump as his VP, basically garner all the votes for Kanye and then resign from the presidency where the vice president would then ascend and take over. Now, if a vice president takes over a presidency, it doesn't typically count as a term. And I don't know if it's ever been precedented where a sitting president then after his term was up, came back as a running VP. And then basically with the president resigning fulfills the rest of that term. And because it doesn't technically count as a term run for a another term, which could in theory, give you a loophole to get three terms out of two. It's an interesting thought process. Now, like I said, I'm not the expert on political science, so I don't know if that's even possible, but in my head, it's one of those things or one of those scenarios that could play out. And I believe if I remember correctly in American history, we've actually had a president that was a VP, became a president, and then seceded two extra terms and got like nine or 10 years of presidency. Um, Who was that? Don't quote me on that. I, I want to say it was Johnson, President Johnson, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but on that, just kind of one of those things to, you know, kind of your mind turning. Yeah. Crazy. How can we manipulate the system more? Right. <laughs> there we go. It's all about loopholes. Yeah. Geez. So uh, switching gears, we just got back from a fun little uh, 48 hour trip, right? 48 hours? About. Yeah. 48 hours. Um, and we went to Las Vegas, which may or may not have been our best decision or idea, but we figure, hey, you know, this is an interesting time in our lives and in our history. Let's go and explore the great unknown, right? Well, yeah, we also I went out there to see Granny. Granny lives out there, and she's getting older. Obviously, just wanted to check in on her and make sure she was doing good. And then we figured since we're going to go out and check on her, might as well make a little trip out of it and check out what's going on, especially in the time that we're in. And uh, it was trippy. It was very trippy to go to Vegas, uh, pull up, no valet, uh, nobody, you know, basically no bag people. You get in there. Uh, it was basically, it was very dead. Uh you know, I thought it was going to be even more dead than it was. I mean, there was there was people, uh, but in general, it was just a very eerie, weird, weird vibe. Weird vibe. Yeah. What would you say was the most uh, polarizing thing that stood out to you based on what you saw? I would say there was two things. Is one is just going outside and walking the strip and not seeing you know cars everywhere, horns honking, you know, and tons of people, uh, and then also seeing how they consolidated everything from the gambling to like one little area to even the pools like you know the pool at at the mgm where it was like you know they have this huge lazy river or they have multiple pools and stuff and they basically consolidated everybody to two pools which kind of was like if you're trying to you know keep social distancing social distancing and to play wouldn't you want to kind of have everything open and kind of have it spread out but i don't know it was just weird it just didn't feel right uh you know, I mean, we had a great time. We made the most of it and we made the best of it. I mean, we went on New York, New York roller coaster and cruised around and people watched. And, uh, but what would be the thing that stood out to you most? Uh, honestly, it would be how fast that the casinos were able to adapt to COVID with all those acrylic barriers. Mm. Um, the fact that 
you know, I, I want to say for the most part, Vegas soft open like middle of June. Did they? And it was like basically they're opening in phases with uh, the middle of June. I think June uh, 17th or something was the date where the, some of the MGM properties open. And then July 1 was where some of the rest of the town open. And then I think July 17 is where the nightclubs and pool parties are supposed to open. But I don't think they're actually having events yet. But uh, the rapid uh, moves by the casino to, you know, reenact or basically allow gambling to happen um, were, you know, using my eyes and my brain in a logical sense. Those barriers don't do anything. I mean, when we were sitting at a table, we were basically leaning around talking to everybody and yeah. nobody cared. And they're like, oh, you have to wear a mask unless you're drinking or smoking. And let's be honest, what are the two main activities while you're sitting in a casino? It's usually drinking and smoking while you're gambling, right? So with that being said, um, I don't say that I appreciate the fact that because of these barriers, tables were cut down to three or four people. And as a result, the casinos need to make up the money somehow. So table minimums, I think the cheapest I saw was at like Luxor, which is normally a $5 casino. And they were posting 15 bucks at 2 a.m. I'm going, that makes zero sense. Right. All the way to the MGM where it never dipped below 25 bucks, you know? So for the blackjack players, yeah, you can make it work. For dice throwers or wheel spinners, it hurts real fast. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can feel good real fast, but no, it hurts real fast. And, uh, you know, especially the way that I like to play craps, it's like you got about 200 bucks out on the field every round. Yeah. When you goes quick. Yeah. When you win, cool. When you don't mm, stings a little bit more. It goes quick. But as we're talking about what we experienced this last week, uh, one thing that we kind of discussed a little bit or touched on while we were out there was how Vegas has changed. And I'll go ahead and start by, you know, when I was uh, in Vegas the first time, I want to say I was 15 or 16 with my parents. Um, And as a kid, it was like grown up Disneyland. And even for kids, there were a lot of things to do because there was Coca-Cola World and M&M World and then the GameWorks Arcade. Uh, I remember when the New York, New York roller coaster and the arcade first opened up. Pretty much every casino I want to believe had some form of like big arcade. Yeah. You know, when, when we were little, dude, we used to literally just, I mean, we'd hit every casino just to go to the arcades. I mean, like literally every single one, it was laced out and it was kind of like Circus Circus was the end one where it was like, it was kind of the grimiest, but it also had the best games. And it, that's totally shifted. Yeah. So, you know, that was my view when I was 15, 16. And then when I turned 21, you know, it's kind of like a milestone in your life to go hit Vegas when you turn 21 because you can gamble and this, that, whatever. And the way I was treated was that of basically a VIP level. You know, to me, I saw Vegas as the place where anybody could go from any part of society, whether you're at the bottom or the top and you're treated like a million bucks. You know, uh, you pull up, you valet for free, you gamble, you get free cocktails, whatever. They give you a decent sized glass. It's all, you know, I wouldn't say premium alcohols, but you, you know, you got something decent, better than whatever's in the well. And after you'd gamble for a bit, pit boss would come over, maybe give you a dinner, maybe give you tickets to a show. And that was probably from like 21 to 24. So call it up until seven years ago. Right. And then after that, it's almost as if I saw this shift where you had a lot more of those, um, I call them ticket takers, but the people on the strip, you know, flicking their cardboard cards to try and get you to a strip club or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere now. 
uh, had to start paying for self park, which to me is completely crazy. Um, and then on top of that, they'd slap you with a $45 a day resort fee, you know, yeah. whether or not you use the amenities, not to mention, you know, <laughs> the size of the cups when you're sitting around the table have gotten down to shot glass size. And, you know, even you trying to get your diet Coke when we're on the casino floor, we're having to flag people down. Whereas almost back in the day, the mentality was, Hey, let's get people loaded. So they spend more money. Now it's how do we, you know, pinch pennies while kind of getting these people to spend money, but not, you know? Yeah. The concierge service is really, it's totally different now. I mean, I remember when we were younger, uh, you know, all the way, th- I mean, through childhood to teens to early twenties, you know, it was, it was different the way that, you know, you were treated just in general and, uh, the whole comp thing. And, um, you know, but we found out it was interesting talking to one of the gentlemen that we ran into out there was basically saying that, you know, the gambling has really changed where that's not their number one form of income, that their number one form of income is through the rooms. And, uh, because they hold the largest conferences, they have, you know, some of the biggest venues that come out there. So it was interesting, you know, cause I, that's, that explains it. I think a lot for my side is I, I'm, I was shocked. Uh, but when it went from, you know, independently owned, uh, you know, hotels to corporate America owned, everything shifted. I mean, and that's where the customer service really took a turn. Um, and again, we went out there during this time. I haven't been in, in, in some time prior to this, but just in general, just the way, you know, you get treated is it's different. And it's kind of funny. I mean, that like we talk about when we do the show is looking at, you know, things, how they've shifted and how it's so polarizing. It's definitely a big change out there. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that stood out, uh, you mentioned the way that you're treated when we were at that roulette table, you know, and, uh, mind you, the, the casino was practically empty, right? The response and reaction that that one dealer gave you, because let's be honest, you don't really play that game. You had no idea what you were doing. You stated that as soon as you sat down, right? Yeah. And you actually had won money and you go to collect your winnings and you're being criticized and essentially like yelled at like a child. Yeah. And to me, that put a very bad taste in my mouth because I've seen good dealers when they have a new player. Yeah, it might be frustrating when people don't know what's going on if they're holding up the table and you're trying to get your you know uh, hands per hour or whatever. But a lot of times when a, a good dealer has a new player, they kind of like, help them out. They make it more fun. It becomes more of an interactive experience rather than more of like a computational transaction. Um, for example, uh, when I was at a blackjack table, there was one dealer where it was just slow and you're watching paint dry. And it's not even fun, even though you're winning money versus to a dealer that's, you know, making it go down, having fun, cracking jokes. And yeah, she took me for 200 bucks and I'm not happy, but at least I had entertainment. Right. And it's crazy because I remember being fresh 21, going to the uh, casino for the first time in Vegas, where some of the rules are a little bit different than the local Indian casinos, because I went to those when I was 18. But the dealers were much more helpful, you know? And, and for example, like I didn't know how to play blackjack when I up until I was like 23 or so in terms of book strategy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a dealer is walking me through it, obviously won't tell me what to do. Yeah. But, you know, giving me the well, statistics they're, they're, and the they're interactive. I mean, it's, they're providing a service and they're, you know, connecting and you feel like with everything that we're in that people would be more friendly. And, and I mean, regardless of, of how the comps and how, you know, all that stuff play out, it's, it was just, 
shocking. It was just like, people were just so angry. I mean, it was, there was a few dealers that were great and, you know, it was fun to interact with and connect with. And we had some laughs, but it was just, in, some of them in general are just hating life. It seemed like, you know, right. and they're just taking it out at their work and it was, uh, it's unfortunate. So, I mean, note to self is, uh, don't have any expectations when you, when you go out there. Uh, but again, as we made the most of it, we had a great time and, uh, you know, we'll be back sometime soon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anyone from Vegas is listening, but hey, guys, if you want a tip on customer service, now's the time to be extra nice. That's how you get people to come back. Because yeah. right now, everybody's deathly afraid of COVID. They don't want to come out there, let alone they don't want to come out there and lose all their money. Yeah. You know, so hey, just give a little to get a little more, you know. Um, but no, it was still a good time. Uh, I call it the new New Vegas because New Vegas was where you had to pay for parking and pay for everything and get nickel and dimed and pay for the mini bar and, you know, $6 for a soda out of the vending machine down the hall next to the ice machine. It's uh it's a crazy time. I don't know if I'd say that it's uh, as enjoyable as before. Actually, I can tell you it's not. Yeah. Uh, I had way more fun back in the day with less money, you know? Um, but I guess, Hey, as, as the world turns, you got to pay to play. Yeah. You know? Times so, are shifting, man. All <clears throat> over. Yeah. So, you know, that's one thing or one change that we've seen. Uh, it, it's crazy that throughout our life, you know, and we're only 33 years young or old, however you want to see that, but something even as, uh, commonplace as Las Vegas has changed so drastically. And, uh, for people that are interested in history that don't know, if you don't know how Vegas started, it's a great story. Um, the fact that a grand opening of a casino in the middle of the desert was completely botched and almost ruined the mob. And then they relaunched it with some Hollywood celebrities and became Las Vegas that we kind of know today. It was more like the Vegas we knew 20 years ago. Uh, but it's a very interesting story that, you know, has some interesting players like the mob, uh, government officials, Hollywood celebrities makes for a great movie that I believe they did do a little touch on it in uh, one of the old movies, but they kind of embellished a little bit, but even the real story of it's pretty, pretty interesting. That's fascinating. So uh, moving on one other thing I wanted to pick your brain about. What is that? Sports teams and names. Okay. So last week we talked about name changes and you know, what's in a name. Uh, the chancellor of Oxford came out and basically slapped his student body that was trying to push for renaming of buildings and pulling down of statues. But now here in America, we're talking about football teams and potentially baseball teams that uh, may be seen as inflammatory. Um, namely, the Washington Redskins are at the top of the list. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but Essentially, they were pressured by government officials to change their name or lose their new stadium. So they folded under pressure and say, hey, we'll change the name. No way. So really? Yeah, that, that's what's happening right now in the NFL. They're, they're being literally forced to change their name or the city will not help them with the stadium. God, you're a football fan, Ryan. What do you how do you perceive that? Yeah, so it even goes, you know, even more deeper into that. So FedEx is their uh, their field sponsor, right? They're the ones who have the name on there. So, you know, the big wigs at FedEx basically said, you know, exactly what Alex was saying. You know, if you change your name where you want to back out of our, you know, $280 million rights that we give you guys for, you know, for the, for the season. And then Nike apparently took down all the uh, – 
all the stuff they sell online, Washington Redskins related, they took down all of it from their website. And then now just recently, this one is kind of weird, but like three of their minority owners, apparently they don't like working with Daniel Snyder. He's the owner. So they want out in, in, in lieu of everything as well. So. Well, but as a, as a football fan, I mean, how does that uh, well, how, see, does it, how does that affect you? That's that's the interesting part. You know, I'm a I grew up an Eagles fan, so the Redskins are in the Eagles division. So I've been I've been around the Redskins my entire life, um, and I don't know. I'm I'm not a super sensitive guy, and maybe it's not really my place to talk about it because I'm not a Native American. I'm a, you know a general white guy. But I've never been <laughs> offended by the name. And, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe it's not my place, but it's it's a historical context. It's been around a long time. and But at the same time, if you come up with a good name to replace it, then, I, okay, it might be time. Yeah, um, I get that. And unless there's a full-blown franchise change what you run into in the future is continuity problems in, reg- in regards to records and statistics. So for example, uh, I can speak more in, in light of baseball cause I followed that a bit, little bit closer, but when the Montreal Expos became the Washington nationals, it was a complete franchise change, right? Um, in the sense that one, they're not in Canada anymore. They're back in the United States, uh, totally different team name, totally different history they basically cut ties with anything to do with Montreal and the Expos and became uh, a new franchise, even though it's not really a new franchise, but uh, essentially it was a rebranding of the whole thing. So if Washington is going to that extent, then I get it. But if they're staying in the same city, you know, with the same players and the same thing, honestly, you're just throwing a filter over. It's still the same franchise and team with the same ideologies and this and that just because you call it something else doesn't make it something else in my opinion. Yeah. Well, also, as you speak about that, like the Houston Oilers eventually are now in, well, it's not the same owners and everything, but it's the Houston Texans now. And you never really, I feel like you don't associate the two with each other as much as you, you would have in the past. So does kind of muddy the, the waters with the Redskins name. I mean, how is it? What is it really? How is it affecting individuals? What is what is their whole terminology behind that? And and why is it that you know when they see Washington Redskins, it makes them, uh, you know, the Redskins in comparison to the other Native American branded teams, I would say is probably the most inflammatory because it's kind of a derogatory term. It'd be like calling a team from Japan the. Uh, Tokyo yellows or something, yellow skins, you know? So it's kind of that extent. Whereas the Cleveland Indians, that's Cleveland Indians, Houston Texans, you know, the Californians, whatever, that's, that's it. Uh, The Braves, the Braves are just, uh, you know, a denomination of a certain Indian group. They were known for their merciless and very uh, brutal fighting. And that's why they got a team named after them. Cause you know, sports are kind of like civilized effects of war. Right. Um, but Redskin, I mean, I see the derogatory action behind it, but it goes back to, uh, you know, what Ryan said about not being easily offended or being easily offended. Either way, I mean. Just don't we have bigger issues to focus on in life? Like, I mean, are people really that, I, I mean, if people, if that's really what people are focused on is changing entertainment for us, changing the names. I mean, you got, you guys have freaking first world problems. I mean, it's like, it's such a joke. I don't even like, 
I don't even like talking about it. It's just so frustrating. It, again, it's I'm not if it's offensive and like and those things. I I get it, but it's like there are so much bigger issues in the world today than changing a professional athlete's name or, or not the name the 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 team name. It's just God is it, it's it's annoying. You know, it's uh, that's where I, I that's where I stand on this whole thing. It's just like, dude uh go over to i mean go down to skid row you know go down to la go see what's going on down there see how people are living what people's lives are like you know go to different countries go to third world countries and really experience what's happening and it's like you know it, there's always just going to be an issue i just feel like we're at a spot where now it's like oh let's just try to find problems yeah it's funny you mentioned that uh an article came out based on a white paper done from a san diego state professor and he coined a new term an acronym called ptbo and what it means is proclivity to be offended. So he literally surveyed 400 students averaging about 26 years of age and asked them about, you know, things in the news and current events and how they uh, react or respond to it. Right. And the funny thing, and, you know, this is probably something that I already knew, actually, I pretty much already did. But he saw that people who have high PTBO, so people who are more easily offended, typically translate into uh, less productivity, whether it's personally or professionally. And it has to do with because they're spending more of their constructive time and energy complaining about things rather than doing things to make progress, right? And it's funny to read that after working at my last workplace for you know over 10 years. And having now the awareness to look at interactions and how people were, I dealt with a bunch of crybabies over dumb things. And I mean, when I say dumb things, I, there's one incident that I remember so vividly in that three people were complaining that we were getting free pizza for lunch yeah. because they didn't want pizza. And we had a department of about 20 people. So 17 said pizza, three said they don't want pizza. And now I was responsible for catering to those three individual orders. And it became more pain and process for me. It's not like I have an actual job to do ordering pizza and people's right. lunch orders, not my job, but that's what I got relegated to because of whatever you want to call it. Cause it wasn't fair or what have you. And, yeah. and just my general thought process, if it's free, Take it if you do, don't if you don't. It's not something you're entitled to. It was something that the company was trying to do nice and you know keep it simple and cost effective and this and that. And I was grateful to get my one slice of Costco pizza, which is you know only $10, $10 for the whole thing. Like it, it's just that pizza party uh mentality was almost even ruined because of three bad apples. Yeah. And now within our uh, society and culture, we're seeing a lot of those bad apples spread where they're literally stewing in the negativity for so long that it then translates to other parts of their life. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I 100 percent agree with that. And uh, I think it's amazing that he actually wrote a paper around that or white paper around it and came out with that. And I mean, that's literally what this world's come to is we, we have to prove statistics and outcomes on behaviors that are getting us nowhere uh i think it's just simply put like this is like okay hey let's change let's look at it this from a perspective of or go from like a fifty thousand foot view right okay let's change the name of a professional sports or we have people dying of starvation and diseases like it's just like it doesn't make sense to me uh where we are as a society you know uh i don't know what are your thoughts ryan 
Yeah, well, um, I'm with you 100% on that. I feel I've always thought there's there's more things to be worried about. And for a lot of these name changes or, you know, things like that, there's a lot of other things to be stressed about in the world. I feel like those are minor issues. Yeah. It's like while people are worried about statues and names, they fail to realize that, one, Newport Beach was flooded a couple days ago. I don't know if you were aware yeah, of that. In Peninsula. Um, China, the three... Three Gorges Dam is about to collapse, which would then wipe out the entire Wuhan area all the way to North Korea and take out nuclear reactors with it, thus spreading radiation into North Korea. Uh, 300 plus elephants in Africa, for some reason, just dropped dead. And the doctors and scientists can't figure out why, but they're 300 plus and it's an elephant graveyard and nobody killed them. They literally just died. Maybe they weren't social distancing. Yeah, COVID, man. Maybe. Or they just got tired of it and said, forget it, I'm out. Um, and then not only that, but we got all these locusts and stuff eating crops in Africa. Nobody talks about any of that stuff. And in my opinion, our world's ecosystem is a bit more important than our social system because after we're gone, the world's still going to be here. I mean, provide we don't ruin it first, but it's still going to be here. It's going to outlive all of us. It's been around for over four and a half billion years, and it's probably not going anywhere anytime soon, right? But people get so caught up in names and people and places and things that they don't actually either have the awareness or care or whatever, or they're, um, what was the term? Relativism or something, I think. Relativism thinking basically group think, right? Everybody gets caught up in what their circles are talking about. That becomes what's important. And like five years ago, everybody knew what Kim Kardashian ate for dinner, lunch, breakfast, and had a snack and, you know, who she was hanging out with. Nobody has any idea what's going on in the rest of the world. And it's almost like it's not even important yet. Then they want to come back every what earth day and talk about global warming every this day to talk about that subject. And for 364 other days of the year, they don't care. They put yeah. the blinders on, they go on their Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. And you know, like these blue check marks that have nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Agree, dude. Well, again, as we're in a, we're in a crazy time in life and you know, uh, we just got to, I think leading by example and, and do it, putting one foot in front of the other is all we can do here. But thanks for listening to another episode of Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.